If there's one dog I know that can be responsible in a flower garden... Is it Bruno? It's this dude. Come Let's on, go, Bruno. Bruno. What's nice is that every single flower in it's dead. It's <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful reminder of uh, <laughs> how short life is. <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, I went out with comic, actor and all-round adorable tall guy, Greg Davis. Greg doesn't have a dog of his own, which can I say is a travesty, as he is a total dog whisperer. So we borrowed the lovely Bruno, who's a German Shepherd Rottweiler cross from the Dogs Trust. We took a stroll in Greg's local park in South London and chatted about his childhood dog Rex, who doesn't get the best review, by the way, how he really wanted to make his dad laugh, and a comedy epiphany in a flotation tank. You'll have to listen if you want to find out more about that one. You can catch Greg in Cuckoo on iPlayer and on BBC One from Jan the 4th. And for more info on him, please go to gregdavis.co.uk. Also, we're really fortunate on this podcast to get to work with the Dogs Trust, who do some amazing work. So to find out more about them, please go to dogstrust.org.uk. And finally, rate, review and subscribe, please, on iTunes. Here's Greg. Let's have a sniff, mate. He's been so patient, I'm going to let him do whatever he wants. I think Bruno is physically exactly the same size as you, <laughs> if he could walk on his hind legs. Bruno? Come way. on, Bruno. So you think Bruno's the same size as me, Greg? I'm going to get him up on his hind legs at some point. I think... I'm, pr- I'm really good at judging heights, because height is such a feature of my life. I was going to say... Because people are constantly asking me about my height. Um, well, me too, I'm very good I'm at little. judging heights, and I think you're exactly the same height as Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, 5'2"? I think, three. yeah, I'd say 5'2". Oh, that's so kind of you, Greg. I really appreciate 5'2". I just realised there's no crossing here, by the way. Sit down. <laughs> Bruno, sit. Bruno! Hey! Oh, Greg, you're really taking to that. I'm so glad that Bruno has been rehomed already. Why? Well, I'd be having a crisis now. I'm already in love with him. You look really good together, Greg. Thanks, Emily. I haven't said that Bruno's a dog, by the way. You <laughs> <laughs> might think he's some gay friend of mine. might think it was Bruno Mars, the pop singer? <laughs> I don't think he'd silently walk by my side during a podcast, though. <laughs> Occasionally stopping to sniff other dogs' piss. Come on, mate. Come on, Bruno. There's all sorts of smells in here. Greg, now we're away from the noisy traffic. Yes. I think it's time I introduce the podcast. We're in the do you park. do like a musical introduction to it? Yeah, we do sometimes. No, I think but do you have... ever sing? No. <laughs> Would you like to change that? It'd be nice for you to do it. Uh, and then, what do you think I should sing? Just improv- improvise a <laughs> improvise a song. So this is Walking the Dog, and I'm Emily Dean, and I'm very excited because I'm with Greg Davis, and we're in. Is it this park is local to you? Is it? Yeah, it's Kennington Park. And you know, I've never even been here. No, it's really lovely here. It's beautiful. I've never... I lived in West London for most of my time here, but I, yeah. uh, I ended up here by accident. And I really love it. Strangely, feels like home. And do you want to talk us through way. your companion? Bruno? Well, I haven't got a dog of my own because um, it would be irresponsible given my lifestyle. <laughs> but um, I so want one. Yeah. But the Dogs Trust have very kindly lent us Bruno, who is... I mean, giant. A well, giant, he, beautiful boy. He's, he's part Alsatian, yeah, part, part Rottweiler. And they are called 
Shepweilers, I believe. Are they? Yeah. Why Shep? German Shepherds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long hour. I think they're also called Rotten Shepherds. Oh, Shepweilers is way nicer. It's a bit German swear word. Shepweiler. <laughs> call them Rotten Shepherds. Re- really bad. Some sheep. stinking sheep herder coming down from the mountains. Hasn't washed his nether regions for 12 years, <laughs> looking for a wife. <laughs> I'm, so I don't know Bruno's story, the Dogs Trust. Oh, well, I know Peeps were telling us. Sadly, okay. his owner passed away. So, but he's been rehomed, and you've been in his company for 10 minutes. You can't be surprised he's been rehomed, right? He's so lovely. He's How so does he beautiful. strike you? He's so placid and lovely, and all he wants to do is have a smell of stuff. Because I always think, when I think Rottweilers, I always think of... Um, What's it called from the uh, 80s? Magnum. Magnum P.I.? Yeah. Did he have a Rottweiler? On the estate, uh, the rich man's oh, estate where he lived, was Thomas. Yeah. Thomas that was, oh, I love Thomas. They had two Rottweilers. Do you know, you're, I've just remembered that. I always thought they were terrifying, terrifying beasts just because of Magnum. Funny I think enough. Magnum did for Rottweilers what, <laughs> what Jaws did for sharks. Oh, Jaws and sharks? You see, that's because we're the same generation. I know. I think we're... T- sort of disproportionately terrified of them. But I still am. Yes, yeah, so am I. Even though all these years on, that film ruins my relationship with deep water. <laughs> Amazing, right? I even got scared in pools for a while. So did I. Did you? Yeah, genuinely, yeah. I would feel my legs and I'd think, oh my God, a shark's going to come again. <laughs> it, it is conceivable <laughs> that the shark, evil creature as it is, has learnt to walk on its hind fins. <laughs> And gone searching for a different kind of meat. (laughs) (laughs) Overcome chlorine. (laughs) There was an episode of Columbo. Do you remember that? And I remember there was a really kind of... There was an episode that everyone at school talked about and then someone had trained... Or maybe it was Dobermans or Rottweilers to kill. And it was horrible. And that scared me. But we're being all down on this breed. And actually, we should say... Bruno. Well, well, we're saying that Bruno's the, Bruno's the antithesis of, uh, exactly. of the demonic Rottweilers <laughs> from stage and screen. You know Peter, what's his name who wrote Jaws? Benchley. I don't think I know his name, the guy who wrote I think it. it's ben- Benchley. Yeah. He wrote Jaws, yeah. the, the novel. And then when he saw the effect that the film had, because yeah. loads of people just went out and murdered sharks and thought they oh. were satanic creatures, he devoted the rest of his life to shark conservation because he felt so bad. Too late, Benchley. It's like, was it Robert Oppenheimer suddenly became all CND? <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks exactly. for that, mate. I wonder if the writers of Magnum PI are going to um, make an effort to re-educate us about Rottweilers. Come and have a look at Bruno. So, Greg, yes. did you have dogs when you were growing up? We had one dog after, <laughs> after pressuring my mum for so long she's so anti having a dog but the three of us me my sister and my dad pressured her so much that she caved in the end and we went and got this little um that little one go went and got oh hello oh he's too big for you i think that owner thought yeah there's gonna be a fight here and i think we knew who was gonna win bruno would fuck him up that's what everyone says about you, though, Greg. Yeah, and you and I both know I'm a coward. <laughs> Instinctively. I was in a pub when I was about 20. I was in a pub toilet. Yeah. 
And the bloke came up to me and went, you think you're hard, do you, tall man? You think you're hard because you're big? And I went, not at all. And he went, yeah, you do, you do. And he started doing that thing that bullies do, he started pushing me. Yeah. And I went, mate, I don't think I'm hard. I don't want to fight you just because I'm tall. Please leave me alone. And he grabbed me. And as he grabbed me, suddenly he just went like this <laughs> and fell away. And my little mate had come in and hit him with a motorbike helmet. <laughs> you see, people like us are useful for that, they're little it's friends. The little guys. We run in with the motorbike helmet. Big boys them. like me and Bruno were pacifists. <laughs> what were you asking me? Sorry. Oh, yeah, just about when you were growing up, which um, was in Shropshire, wasn't Tropshire, it? Shropshire, yeah. You and your sister, and did your dad want a dog as yeah, well? Yeah, he really wanted one too. My mum correctly assumed that when the novelty had worn off, she would be the one looking after the dog. Yeah. And she didn't want them. But we fate, we went to a farm that uh, friends of my mum and dad, and um, they had a litter of black labs. And she was still saying, I don't want to do this. And we were all going, well, just look at them. We'll just look at them. Just look at them. Sorry, that seems so cool. Your mum's standing there saying, I don't want to do this. No, we, we kept uh, gently pulling her in. And we went into this cow shed. The dogs were all kept in a cow shed. And there was this carnage of these black labs all jumping around all over on each other. And she looked at us and went, do you see what I mean? Do you see the chaos that you're going to bring into our home? And then from behind this one, there was like little um, wall partitions in the cow shed. And from behind the wall, this, this terrified little puppy came out, shaking. And he was the runt of the litter, who none of the others liked. And he came out sort of all shaking and terrified. And we all looked at Mum and she went, oh, God, all right. <laughs> Bruno's met someone, Greg. Yeah. Do you want to make friends? I'm just holding him. He's scared? Oh, yeah, this he's is the... Oh, he's so gentle, Bruno. I can tell. Bruno doesn't scare anyone. Bruno should be UN ambassador. <laughs> no, he's lovely. Come on, Bruno. So anyway, yeah, so the... Oh. So, hello. He wasn't like a jogger, was he? He was like someone running from the scene of a crime. <laughs> it was very... <laughs> it was an urgency he to was, that. He was running in a way that would suggest there's definitely at least nine people behind him. <laughs> And, and a helicopter. Probably used to watch Magnum. <laughs> um, oh, yes, yeah, so, so Rex dogs, came yeah. home. And, and oh, the Rex. reason I wanted a dog as a kid was simply twofold. I wanted to be able to throw things for the dog to go and get, and obviously go on walks and be great friends. And I wanted to sit watching telly or whatever and stroke the dog. And it quickly became apparent that Rex was never going to learn how to fetch anything and um, didn't like being stroked. <laughs> what dog doesn't like being stroked? So if you stroked him, he just walked away immediately. And honestly, pound for pound, I mean, I'm affectionate looking back at him because he was part of my family, but honestly, he was a prick. <laughs> he was a prick. And I love dogs. Greg, you can't call your child a dog a prick. He was. Just think he was uh, ungrateful. <laughs> and the reason he was uh, ousted from the pack was because he was a prick. And we got totally suckered by that. Our oh, poor lonely thing will be, <laughs> we'll be the friends he's never had. And then we had him for about a month. And I thought, well, he doesn't deserve friends. Well, it was interesting because like, I can't remember what it was. It might have been an interview or something I read with you. You used to play childhood games with him. Did you dress him up? That's the only... That was payback for me. We used to amuse ourselves. Greg, look at this dog look here. Who's this a chihuahua? Dog. This is like me and you. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh no. 
is grumpy. grumpy. Do you not Do you like see it, it bare its teeth? Yeah. At Bruno, the nicest guy in the dog working world. <laughs> So the we used to dress him up, yeah, because he had to do something to entertain us for us payback for the food and the walks. We dressed him up, uh, I've said this on stage, but we dressed him up in my dad's massive underpants once <laughs> and we were all howling with laughter. He was walking around in these giant white wide fronts and he stopped and I swear to you his expression changed. He stopped in the garden and he looked back at us all like this and went, okay. I, you almost heard him go, okay. <laughs> Uh, you, do you want to dance? Let's dance. And then he just filled them full of piss. You saw this awful yellow stain spread out across the whole pants. And you could see in his eyes he was going, one of you's going to have to take these off me now. So well done. Do you know I like Rex? He was different. I used to take him on walks. Oh, where should we go now, I, We'll have to keep going round. It's a small park. Oh, There's okay. a flower garden up here. Oh, She's, should we go there? It's I like lovely. flowers. It's where uh, people with drink problems hang out as well, so... We might be able to get a can of cider. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're really nice, though. They're a really nice bunch of lads. But they always meet in the flower garden to sort some cider out. It's so nice as well, because often for comics, you have a lot of downtime in the day and you've got some friends yeah. to hang out with. It's lovely. Nice. Yeah. So I'm really pleased for you. That's right. Um, so, so Rex, so good old Rex. I'm, I'm joking about what a prick he was. I know you are. Oh. Greg, why do we keep seeing small? The little one's angry again. Greg, that is so small, it's ridiculous. Look at you. Hey, do you want to fight? Say hello to everybody. Say hello to Bruno. Who's that? Bruno scared. There's the Chihuahua, which, how small would you say that was, Greg? I would say there's an even bigger difference between Bruno and that than you and I. Yeah, there really is. Absolutely tiny. Is it a girl? A boy. A boy? What's he called? Lidinho. Lidinho? Yeah. Now that's a name. Yeah. Brilliant. It means very pretty. Oh, oh. pretty boy. Livigno. Pretty boy. I love Livigno. In, in what language is that? It's a Portuguese. Portuguese? Name. Oh, very well, he pretty. is very pretty. Yes. He's a troublemaker. <laughs> I can tell. He is the size of three apples. <laughs> oh, wasn't that sweet, those little I don't like, I don't, You're I'm not, not a fan? I'm not drawn to pretty dogs like this white one here. No? No. I like messy. I would say Bruno's a bit kind of, um, he's quite old school, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's, he's quite dog of the land. Isn't he? I well, can have my picture taken in a 1950s catalogue with Bruno and he, well, yeah. his style wouldn't change. But then I think you're a bit like that, Greg. You think I'm like a 1950s man? No, I think you're quite down to earth. That's why I can see you with a dog like that. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the alternative to being down to earth is, Emily, do you? Oh, I do. Do you? <laughs> and what is it? Being lost in showbiz? Yeah. And do you know a lot of people who are? I don't befriend them, but no, I'm, I'm sure. aware of those people and I encounter them. I think it's uh, it's unlikely if you do this, if you do show business for a bit, it's unlikely that you believe it after a while, isn't it? That you think this is a real world? It's unlikely that you believe it. Well, maybe, yeah. Because yeah. I do think you're unusually centred. Oh, I I'm, I'm absolutely mad. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say you didn't have mental health issues. <laughs> I just said you're very centred. Well, I'm, I'm aware of the uh, illusion of the business, that's for sure. And I think, is that, you know, we're going to talk about your teaching. Yes. You didn't end up going straight into comedy, as is no. quite well documented. Uh, yeah, I just bottled it, really. All I wanted to do was comedy, but I just bottled it. And... Uh, 
and my dad led me into teaching because that's what he did. Uh, the only bad bit of advice he ever gave me, actually, was you should be a teacher, get a good job under your belt. And I think it's because, you know, he wanted me to follow in his footsteps, really. Uh, your dad was really funny, from what you, oh, I've heard you say. Again, I know I've said it a lot, but the funniest person I ever met. And, uh, and I'm aware there's family bias there, but he, he, pain for pain, he's made me laugh. In his time on this planet, he made me laugh more than anyone else. Yeah. Did you have that sense when you were growing up of, I really want to make my dad laugh? Oh, God, it was everything. It's a, I don't need a psychologist to tell me why I'm a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a, a ruler and draw a line from my need. My need for, <laughs> for the validation of strangers uh, <laughs> goes directly to uh, trying to make him laugh, yeah. And wanting that his approval. Yeah, but, but you see, he was an exhibitionist as well, so... If you're fathered by an exhibitionist, then you yeah. do have to work for his time because he's too busy being an exhibitionist to give you... Not that he... I mean, he was a wonderfully attentive dad and, uh, you know, I became almost central to his existence <laughs> once he was retired. So I, it wasn't I uh, lacked it, but everybody wanted a slice of him. I used to call those sort of Norm people from when I used to watch Cheers when I was younger and he'd walk into the bar and I'm going, Norm! Yeah. <laughs> but you know those norm people and they light up a room? Yeah. Which your dad sounds like that. I call it the look at me gene, yeah. which I think gets passed on. And No doubt. Perhaps you got it from your dad, but does that make you oh, think... Oh, no doubt. And I did that um, BBC show, Who Do You Think You Are? And we just had, you know, even one of the most wonderful things to... I've always been firmly on the side of... Um, um, nurture versus nature. I've never believed that you yeah. inherit characteristics. Right. Until that show, when we were studying my, I think we were trying to find out things about, I think my great great grandfather. And he was this dour preacher. And we followed in his footsteps of his dourness. And, and he rejected his son. And there was all sorts of misery in his life. And then we just found this one entry in a newspaper when he died that said what a great storyteller he was. And I thought, it really blew me away, that. Because thinking, this proves my argument. You know, I'm descended from this flat face. And I saw a picture of him, and he's like a cartoon uh, <laughs> clergyman. <laughs> and uh, all dour and serious, surrounded by... Uh, very serious women in black. But um, he turned out he was a good laugh. Yeah. And he, could, he could spin a yarn, so I like that. Yeah. yeah, what I liked about that, who do you think you are, is that, you know, you uncovered it as you went along and there were, there were bits where there was, there was some surprise turns, weren't there, and illegitimacy and all this kind of stuff. But what I like is when you look on your Wikipedia page, it says his great-grandparents were both illegitimate. And it's like, <laughs> It's disconnected. There's no context. So you just think, was well, that a really shocking piece of news? Wikipedia, I mean, so the fact that people have got power over Wikipedia is endlessly fun, though, weird. isn't it? Oh, you know? are we allowed dogs? Yes, we're allowed dogs on a lead. There's a little sign here. Well, you, it says you can enjoy them responsibly. And if there's one dog I know that can be responsible in a flower garden... Is it Bruno? It's this dude. Come Let's on, go, Bruno. Bruno. You like flowers, right? Oh, great. I like the flower garden. What's nice is that every single flower in it's dead. <laughs> so it's, uh, I was going to... it's a wonderful reminder of uh, <laughs> how short life is. <laughs> yes. So, so your dad 
was this sort of funny person you thought right okay i'm gonna i'm gonna stay on this path well no, i didn't i i just did what he said and went into teaching for years and years and years and then i uh i, I, li- I just got to 33 and thought well i'm gonna lose my mind yeah i'm going to actually go mad if i don't try it so i uh, tried it up until that point the the 33 year old the jesus point in your life yeah were you funny were you destined to be greg's hilarious I was the, he's the funniest uh, bloke in the pub i listened to i told you before i listened to rob beckett chatting to you was it last week or whatever it was and i was exactly the same as rob i was exhausting in a pub and uh i bored myself a tedious attention seeker i think i'm far better i'm a far better person to go for a drink with now now that i uh, get it all out of my system elsewhere it's nice. You can actually have conversations with people rather than go, right, what can I say to try and make this person laugh? Do you think some people never lose that need to win the room, though? Yeah, I do, yeah. I think some people are... are when I say uh, some people, I mean some comics. Yeah, I think a lot of comics are addicted to it. And, and I feel that leaving me, to be honest. Do you? Yeah, I do. And, and I, I find it a relief. It's not that I feel my ambition waning. I, I love what I do. But I don't, I don't have that addiction anymore to making everybody laugh. I'm sure my friends would disagree, but I really am. I really am happy for... I, you know, I had a significant birthday this year and I, I went on a weekend with four really good mates and I just watched them being pantomime drunken clowns really <laughs> happily, you know. I wasn't trying to make it about me. It was nice. And why do you think that is? That I just think you change. I think you get things out of your system. I've only, <laughs> I've only worked it out this year that you are ever evolving. It's only occurred to me that you don't... Um, God, I'm trying to say something profound and I haven't got the vocabulary. Isn't it tragic? <laughs> I've never considered the evolution of character yeah, yeah. before. I've just thought, well, I am who I am. I am, I am the same dickhead I was at 13. <laughs> and it's only this year occurred to me that, well, maybe I'm actually, that's a different person. It's that cliche, though, isn't it? It's that cliche. If you could just go back in time and sort it all out. We would have been amazing. Oh, man. But I think that's the reward for getting old. You know, as your body... Not your body. No, come as on. As one's body crumbles. Greg, we're, we're all there, dear. Uh, <laughs> Degenerate. That's the payback, I think, is that you become a little more settled and uh, a little happier in yourself. Greg, I want to talk about when... your Jesus epiphany... Yes. At 33. Because I know post-teaching you decided to go into comedy and there, and there is this thing you talked about once about the flotation tank. Oh, yeah. What happened again? I was going out with um, a really lovely Australian girl called Treen, who is uh, still alive <laughs> back in Australia. Um, and she was, she was great and we had a great time for the short time we went out. We went out for like 18 months, I think, or a yeah. year or something like that. Um, she was a PE teacher, and she was the exact opposite to me in every single way. Yeah. So she was fit and uh, conventionally attractive, <laughs> and so and um, positive about life, and absolutely had direction. And I was just this miserable, fat prick who didn't know what he wanted to do in life, you know. And she was, um, I guess, you know. She was a real distraction for me because she yeah. was so wonderful and positive. But we were never going to stay together. I'm sure Treen would say that as well. But um, 
for my 32nd birthday, she uh, bought me a session in a flotation tank um, because, and I quote, <laughs> I thought you might be into that kind of shit. That's <laughs> what she said. I love it. That's so fabulously horsey, isn't it? It's so great. It was yeah. so alien to her. She thought her <laughs> thought process was, well, I don't really understand this guy I'm going out with. So kind of thing you might like. I'll just get some weird shit for him and he'll be happy. <laughs> so we both went and we had a we had a go in this flotation. Oh, tank. did you go couples flotation? No, separate. Oh, okay. But she went in one as well. And we yeah. both came out feeling laughing and thinking it was great. And I really entered into the spirit of it. And then um the next day I woke up and I felt, <laughs> I felt quite tearful. I couldn't stop crying for four days. I literally thought I'd lost my mind. I, could, I was driving into work and I was having to pull my car over and um, hysterically sob. <laughs> it's so strange. And I thought, well, you've gone mad, that's official. And, and Treen was going, well, I don't, what the hell's wrong with you? absolutely lost your mind and um, come the weekend I'm still crying um, she said I'm going to a barbecue and you're coming with me as the story's progressed Trine's got a little gruffer <laughs> if by chance you've heard this Trine I'm so sorry um, she's lovely she doesn't sound like that uh, and at that barbecue just by chance um, I overheard some uh, hippie woman in the corner saying that she um she owned a flotation tank centre. I mean, the chances of her being at the barbecue were amazing. And I sort of ran up to her and went, you've got to help me. I've gone mad. And what did she say? And she just took me, she was lovely. She took me away and just sat me down and, and said, it's really common. It's really common for people who've entered into the spirit of the flotation tank that all of these things get released because it's such a deep state of relaxation. And I said, what's been released? And she said, well, it could be that you're in the wrong relationship. <laughs> Uh, or it could be that you've got oh, a, <laughs> or it could be that you've got an ambition that you haven't realised yet. And she said, "Have you?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I have." And she said, "Well, there you go. There's your answer." And I stopped crying immediately, and I applied for a comedy course the, on the following Monday. I say that I filled out the form for a, a comedy course, and then I kept it in my car for a fortnight. And then Treen saw it and went, "This better not be there." Sorry, <laughs> eh? this better not. Be it's better not be there, dear. That doesn't do it. No, she doesn't. Like really. Dame Edna. I'll do train. <laughs> I'll do train because I think I'll. You do it. I'll go. Can it's you better not be yet? that comedy course you've been talking about. It is. No, she sounds a bit stern there. No, I, yeah, make her a bit no, more. Hey, Greg, this better not be that comedy course you've been going on about. It is train. Well, Greg, I don't know if this is such a great idea. No, no, this is what she said. Stop. <laughs> I'll give you the script. She said, stop the car. And then she got out of the car and posted it for me. Stop the car. <laughs> I'm going to go and post this right now. Before you have a chance. I think I'm quite good at treat. Thanks, Trine. You are good at treat. OK, Greg, you're doing that comedy course. Yeah. Whatever it takes. That's it. And that's what happened. Oh, and you did it. No, I did it. And then uh, that all worked out fine. I and did some it, gigs. It, Here we are. It feels like it really... Because I remember being... You did We Are Clang. Yes. And that was your first, that was post-Edinburgh, and you had this first taste of sort of attention, I suppose. And then, I'm so fond of Steve Hall, so I, feel so, I don't want to gloss over Clang, but there's quite a lot to get through. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> the in-betweeners was sort of your 
breakthrough, wasn't it, in terms well, of certainly people in terms of telly. Yeah, we we did uh, the Clang Telly Show. I think uh, it was much maligned, personally. Yeah, I, 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 we, we certainly didn't get it right. We, we did, you know, our live shows were chaos, and, yeah. uh, and I we were so. I think oh, Bruno's having a treat. Come on, Bruno. Do you want more treats? <laughs> oh, Greg, are you going to give him a treat? I've got a treat. Tell him to sit down, Greg. Sit down. Bruno, sit. Sit. Good boy. Good boy. What a good boy. Bruno, good boy. Hey, Bruno. Bruno, I've got another one here. Look. Yeah, who's your friend now? Who's your friend now, then? Well, Bruno's all over you now. Yeah. He's yeah. loving it. Have that. Good boy. I'm eating out of your hand, Greg. He's so lovely. So, yeah, so anyway, so, but in between us, given that that had happened relatively we quickly... We took went out and, and wasn't especially well received. And mm. uh, then, yeah, Ian Morris and Damon gave me... I was in the pub with them when the in-betweeners got commissioned and they gave me the teacher part straight away, so... Were you scared, Greg? No, I, did, I didn't know it was going to be did you a giant hit. I thought it was just these... These two clowns doing a pilot, why not do it? I didn't know it was going to go mental. If I'd known the in-betweens was going to be a giant hit that would uh, boost my profile as much as it did, despite how small my part is, yeah. I, uh, I would have been, probably, but I, I just thought it was a pilot for two silly men. <laughs> I remember Ian, and I still got that email, who's a mate of mine, and I remember him sending it to me, and he said, what do you think of this? And it was called Baggy Trousers. Of course. I forgot that's what it was called. And it was set in the 80s. Yeah. And I remember saying to him, well, you set it in the 80s. He goes, yeah, I can't be bothered to research how kids talk now. So I've set it in the 80s. But isn't that funny, though, that one of the, <laughs> one of the things that's so loved about the in-betweeners is how authentic the voices of those silly boys are. And I, as soon as I read it, I was like, wow, this is brilliant. But... So, yeah, so your life sort of changed really dramatically then, Greg, didn't it? It certainly helped, yeah. Yeah. It certainly helped. And did you feel you were able to... Because then I just feel like... I think if you were so prolific in terms of all the st- your output, and Man Down was not too... Was Man Down before Cuckoo, wasn't it? Yeah. No, actually. It was a real dilemma for me because Cuckoo was just before, I think, Man Down. And I got the offer for Cuckoo when we were just finalising the deal for Mandown. So it was quite traumatic for me at the time. So funny, isn't it? All traumas <laughs> that you look back on in life. They all seem so massive and then there's such horseshit. <laughs> when you get in, knock on a... Yeah, at the time it was like, oh God, should I do Cuckoo and Mandown? Will one cancel the other out? That is something I strive to remind myself in this business when you get disappointments or yeah. things aren't going your way. You do have to remember, I mean, Jesus Christ, this isn't work. You would wait years for either of those to come along, those opportunities, wouldn't you? Yeah. And then they all happened at they all once. Went, bah, bah, bah. And it's funny, making a decision, I'm going to just jump on all these. It was quite a hard decision, but... Are you, pleased, the, you must be pleased that you did. Decision. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, because I think they're sufficiently different shows, and I had such a wonderful time on both shows. Let's go in the flower garden again. Yeah, let's. Trying to get a can of cider, aren't you? I'll buy you one if you want. I've already bought the coffees. My instinct now is that we've talked about me enough. I don't mean I want to stop. I mean... I was raised properly to inquire about other people. <laughs> Go on, though. What are you going to ask me? Do you get that feeling of slight guilt? 
that yes massive guilt that you're talking about yourself too yes much. too much yeah that shows what a nice person you are though well I think it might be or a, is it something I've said to fool you into thinking I'm a nice person no I do I, don't, I, I think do it might feel be the that. first time anyone's ever said that in this entire history of interviews <laughs> I've ever done that's something I do feel awkward about it, 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 is if you meet people and they're so excited to talk about you and your life yeah. And, and it goes against my upbringing, which is to ask people about theirs. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, but also I think you're quite a curious person. I think I you're am. interested in people. I am, yeah. Finding out what makes people tick. People are endlessly fascinating. But that's why you create characters. You know, that's what you kind of do for a living, well, isn't it? I so, think acti- um, acting critics might, <laughs> <laughs> might take might suggest no. that my range is it's not true. <laughs> has not been a stretch yet. Well, p- people do say that your character in Man Down is essentially you, people say, don't they? Well, it's certainly a part of me. All of that selfish, uh, inconsolable rage is uh, certainly there. Yeah. Do you have rage? Oh, God, I, I, only over things that shouldn't matter. If I can't find... And I don't really understand this. But if I can't find a pair of trousers that I want to wear, I will literally pull everything out of my cupboard and kick chairs over like a psychopath. Do you? Yes. I don't get... Do you I... talk to yourself in, the, in your home? Of course I do. Do you shout... I shout things. Yeah. Like... At yourself. Yeah, I yeah. shout. Ra- I scream things of rage. And, and I'll, I'll talk to myself in a, out loud in a really awful, sarcastic voice. Oh, that's good. Oh, well done. You handled that well, didn't you, you fucking dick? That's how mad I am in my home. <laughs> With Man Down, though, you had a weird year, didn't you? Because yeah. Rick Mail, who plays your dad, he died really suddenly. He did, and it's such a... Sh- I mean, obviously it's a shame, but it was such a shame because we had... You know, we were very lucky with Man Down that they just kept letting us get better at it. I think the gulf between the most recent series and the first series is enormous and that's because I was given the opportunity to learn how to write properly and I think the golfing quality is huge we had such plans for him and he was so excited about uh, about it so it, it was obviously terribly sad for everybody that he passed away but um, he was still so ambitious and so uh, hungry so to make people laugh and then my dad died, that's what you're going to say, I right? Know. The same year. Oh, was it the same year, wasn't it? Two months after Rick, yeah. Because I remember seeing you, Greg, and I'd never really had a sort of conversation. I've never seen you at things, but I'd never had a proper sort of conversation with you. Yes. And that was one of the first times I remember I was at a friend's party. It was our friend Jimmy's party. And I was chatting to you, and I'd had a really bad year because I'd had a lot of deaths. Yeah. And you'd had this, and I remember just chatting to you at this party, and it was very kind of, it's good and hard in here. And, it was all, and then we started talking about death for about an hour. <laughs> yeah, I and remember, I felt yeah. quite bad, and then I thought, do you know what? It really made me think, I thought, God, what a nice man. He's really decent, and he's... I went through a phase of feeling like the skull in a Renaissance painting every time I walked into the room. Really? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I oh, do. here she is, the raven. <laughs> yeah, you know? of course, yeah. And you can't help it because it's on your mind. And, I, and you really didn't make me feel uncomfortable and you were just yeah you were interested in talking about it and I thought oh okay he's got a lot of depth he's a good one well I think I don't know about that I think there's a there is a comfort in talking about it and yet I relate to the awkwardness that people feel 
you know, I've got really good friends who really, really didn't, weren't comfortable talking to me about my dad's death, even though they knew my dad really well. And I relate to that because I, I know how hard it is. But if you've lost someone who you cared about, yeah, uh, there is nothing better for me than to talk about that person. You know, it's not. I am the antithesis of wanting to brush things under the carpet emotionally in, in those terms. Yeah, well, I love to talk about him. I got that sense. You know, it's funny, Frank Skinner, who I do a radio show with, he describes it as, it's like a breakup, a bereavement. You're like the ancient mariner. You need to tell your tale. Right. And I think there's that sense of going around, grabbing strangers <laughs> and saying, I meet with the, the glittering eye. I need to talk to you about this. And then... You definitely gravitate to someone else who's yeah, feeling... Yeah, you do. Uh, but I understand why people get awkward and... I understand why other people get awkward. Yeah. Because they think that you're going to burst into tears. Or, <laughs> uh, um, but I, I, I mean, I know. I can only tell you how I feel, and that is that I love to talk about him. And with every day that passes, I... You know, I've just done a tour, at, um, and he's been dead for four years, and yet he was still at the heart of it. I never wanted to do a dead dad show. I don't, no. I don't need to manage my grief on stage. But I do, um, I do enjoy keeping uh, his memory going, you know. Do you miss him still? So much. So much I do. And your sister, are you close to her, Greg? Yeah, very close. We're a very close family. That's... And we all miss him terribly, but yeah. I, I, I think that cliché is true, that with every... Um, with every day that passes, increasingly the memories get, the memories make you smile as opposed to um, making you cry. That's what I've found with him. And I feel him with me. <laughs> and I'm not at all religious. <laughs> really? Yeah, but I really f feel his presence. Oh, it's so presence. nice though. It's just lurking in my brain. It sounds like you have a similar personality to him as well. Do you ever get that? You think, oh, God, I really yeah. sounded like my mum or well, my dad. I you... like him. <laughs> terrified they're like a like a science experiment oh come Isn't on it? bruno cuckoo is i think is it back in january yeah and i'm very excited about one particular guest are we allowed to see yeah, yeah, it yeah it's, it's been announced so it's andy mcdowell so strange right it's, it's crazy <laughs> but this is amazing well i think cuckoo's consistently delivered those yeah. what the fuck yeah. You know, I was excited to work with Andy Samberg. Tarantino moment, so you're like, what? Oh, God, every email from that company is, uh, we're going to, Andy can't do the next two, so we're going to get uh, Taylor Lautner from Lord. Twilight. What the fuck? And you two were so brilliant together, so which funny. I wouldn't have envisaged. It no, was and I've said many times what an unlikely friendship it is. Yeah. But, you know, we get on famously. Um, and how is Andy? And then Andy McDowell, yeah, lovely. I mean, they, they immediately made her my sister. <laughs> They're not going to go <laughs> with the preposterous notion of us <laughs> being a couple. Is Although, it? Helen Baxendale's my wife. Oh. And I've had lots of my friends go, yeah, right. <laughs> you get to love me. <laughs> That's <wife>. likely, <laughs> isn't it, if so? <laughs> okay, you say this, but I've got a theory about this. Because I think you are very conventionally attractive and you get a lot of female attention. I'm always aware well, of that, Greg, in a room. Here's the thing, though. Yeah. I see women buzzing around you. They do not. They've they got no do. choice. They're drawn in it. by my gravity. No, I think it's more... I think you exude a confidence. Oh, well, maybe. You know, there's that thing that my dad had as well. It's that sort of... It's that, it's that desire to entertain, I, 
My mum says that I've grown into my face, and I think I have a bit. I'm less horrified looking in the mirror than I was when I was 25, for sure. But were you, and I'm not going to ask about your romantic life, because I always think it's quite rude when people do that, but when you were younger... I just don't talk about that, do you? But also it's a weird thing as well, that I think if you don't have kids, which I don't... Nor me. Sometimes I get quite cross-examined about that, and I don't know if you get that as a man, but as a woman it's really hard, because it's like... It's a kind of weird thing. Have that... you developed a standard answer for that? I suppose my personal thing was I just felt, I don't know, I think I was just quite damaged and it took me a long time to sort it out and I didn't really want to pass that on to <laughs> Is that weird? Come on. It's all right. But I think that's true. Yeah. And I think, well, actually, I only feel now that I'm not a complete mess. So what if I'd well, have had kids when I was 22 and these people would be in therapy? I remember an ex-girlfriend saying to me, who was just, she was so wonderful, and we had such a great time. And we were in our, it doesn't matter what age you were, yeah, I yeah. don't want to identify her. No, 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 don't, but, yeah. but You had a good relationship. I, yeah, yeah, we had a great, a great relationship. And I remember her saying to me, I, I want to have children in the next two years. Yeah. I, and I was, are you, are you fucking talking about children? And I was in my late, you know, I was old yeah, enough yeah, to old be enough. a father, for sure. But the idea of it to me was, have you any idea how much I've got, how much of, how, how much of this ball of string I've got to unwind before I can think about producing children? At the time, all my friends were having children. To me, it was as preposterous as someone yeah. suggesting I start a, a career as a juggler. I mean, yeah. it's just, <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course, I, of course I can't be responsible for other people's lives. And the truth is, of course, you could have been. Probably one could have been, but I uh, wasn't. But to me, the, the need to procreate and the need to pass my genes on and uh, has never—I I, I don't really know—I don't really know why, but it's never been this burning biological thing for me. I wonder why I just, that is. The only thing I crave is be, having having your own gang. I think oh, yeah. that's what I see because I, our family, we were a great gang. That's the life goal, really, I think, is... I like that, You've got to put your own gang together at some point, yeah. And that's what's nice about a dog. I feel like that. I feel like it's a mate, like I live with a mate. (laughs) He's my gang (laughs) member. He's like the shitty one that couldn't be trusted with any important (laughs) jobs. He's like the dozy getaway driver. Yeah, yeah. There's a dog that you've semi-adopted in Spain, isn't there? Yeah, and if I was more selfish, that dog would be here now, actually. I go to the same place in Spain. We won't say where it is, but yeah, lot. you go to a place in Spain. Yeah, yeah. just because it's really yeah, yeah. Uh, such a contrast to everything else. Yeah. It's this weird little village away yeah. from everything. And the house um, I stay in opposite, my neighbour has got uh, four dogs, mm. two of which are puppies that he found under a car and he couldn't bring himself to turn away. And I went out this summer for about six, seven weeks. I've told you all this. I'll say it for the podcast, right? <laughs> you described yourself when I saw you. You said, well, I've got a dog. It was really sweet. And you said, well, I kind of have. I've sort of adopted it. Well, she adopted me. I, I, I'm a patron of a, a little dog rescue centre in Shropshire, the Gris, in Grinsill specifically, the Grinsill Rescue Centre. And there's another do- uh, Shropshire-based dog's home that I go to a lot. And the person who runs one of them said to me, your dog will find you eventually. And I remember internally going, horse shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that sort of romanticised nonsense. And then um, when I was in Spain, and I spent sort of periodic times on my own, sort of three or four days on my own in between my f- friends and family coming out. 
and this dog just decided she was my dog. And I sort of think we will end up, yeah, Do we will too? end up together. Will you bring her over here? <laughs> well, I think when I'm not living in a two-bedroom flat near a tiny park. But it was very strange because I wasn't feeding her and she was going back to my neighbours for food and then coming back to me and going, no, you... <laughs> You and me are going to hang out now. You are going to end up being a dog owner, Greg. I would have brought her back now, honestly, because the guy I know out there said, you can have her, I've got too many of them. <laughs> and, uh, and I really did think about it. And then I watched her running around the Spanish mountains with her brother rolling around, having a brilliant time. And I thought, that's no good, is it? Well, I'm off doing whatever I'm doing. She's sitting in a flat. Is it nice, your flat? Oh, it's lovely. Is it? <laughs> I bet it is. You, you do <laughs> decorate it and things. It's the only thing that kept me sane writing Man Down. Oh, no. Was doing my flat up, yeah. Really? I used to I sit can... there with a computer on my lap going, ah, oh, I could get some really nice paintings. <laughs> really set that wall off. Yeah. <laughs> you make your space nice. That's a good mental health thing. I think it is. No, I think it's... Uh, I don't fully understand uh, the importance of homemaking. It's one of the few things I've felt viscerally really? that I've got to make this place just so yeah I don't know whether that whether that's related to preparing for my gang <laughs> I love the idea of your gang though I do think of you as a gang whenever I see you at events I say events it makes it sound like but friends parties or whatever it's normally Spe off specifically Jimmy. one friends party yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has so many though it it's like we have like it a really close like a regular see you sort of seven or eight times a year some friends I don't see that often because of Jimmy's parties but yeah it's funny whenever I see you there you're always you're always laughing and you're at the centre of it you've got a little little crew of people around you I don't know whether you know this but comedians in at any event will just run to each other and, and it's not uh, it, it's not it's not because they want to exclude other people it's because they're all desperately insecure freaks and it's like oh good I've got someone <laughs> I've got someone I know I've always felt really self-conscious at, at part you know organised parties don't you do you just swan in and go here I am <laughs> who will who will come to me you know I think people are social architects some people so they walk into a room and they sort of set the tone and they oh but that's are you so not like that not me at all I walk into social events as self-conscious as I was when I was 19 doing it. I'm fine once I once I found someone I know to chat to. I'm not someone who swans into a room and goes, here I am. And to be honest with you, I don't trust those people. Well, that's what's interesting, is what you're making basic confidence sound like some monster. You go, here I am. I do. I find it. I, I find, and I've always found, hugely confident people unnerving. As a kid... Oh my god, I was absolutely petrified of everything. Really? Yeah. Kids at school who were like dyeing their hair at 13. And here I am. Look at my wearing wink. Look at my look at my suede boots I'm wearing. I love the idea of here. Yes, the suede I boots people. Thinking, who are you? And the boys would wear eyeliner, those ones. Yeah, yeah, I know them. And if I if I'd come downstairs with eyeliner and boots on, <laughs> my parents would have gone, you have to break them. Fade into the background where you belong. <laughs> I've got a question. It's a bit embarrassing to ask. But oh God! Especially when you're this age. But I'd quite like to be. Maybe I can't be way. in the actual gang because I don't know you enough. But could I be like a driver or like a? I could help a gang the gang driver. out. <laughs> 
I'm small. I could be a mascot for the gang. So you might not want me in your gang. Well, I'm saying that I really like to be your friend. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's give it a go, Emily. I think this has been a really, I think it's been a really encouraging start. <laughs> Do you cry, Greg? Yeah, I'm gonna let stuff out occasionally, but I'm not a big crier. That's why that whole um, flotation tank thing was so unusual. Yeah. Because it was such consistent crying. I think the occasional howl's good for you, isn't it? Well, definitely. Are I you love, a crier? I, you can tell I am. I'm a massive crier. <laughs> I know what I want to ask that you. It has to be a release. The Graham, you're on Graham Norton. Yeah. So is it like eight million people have watched that now? And yes. It's, you, I know it's weird, but even though I would have described you as an acquaintance rather than a friend before you said I might be able to join the gang. Yeah. I felt really proud watching that. Oh, Because I remember nice. thinking, oh my God, Greg's making Ryan Gosling laugh. Like he's actually pissing himself. Yeah. I thought, oh wow, this is amazing. It is quite odd. It is quite odd when you see someone as famous as him and you suddenly interact. And Jodie Foster was on that sofa as well. <laughs> and Russell Crowe, we should yeah. say. I think it's one of those moments where you go, oh, fuck it, we'll have a go at this. It doesn't <laughs> matter, does it? What's the worst that can happen? And, uh, yeah, it was fun. Do you get a sense, when you're about to tell an anecdote and you're on those shows and you're with, like, Ryan Gosling and, you know, Russell Crowe and Jodie Foster, yeah. do you get that lurch in your stomach? Like, the, I call it the wrecking ball, where you're in the starting gates, and you're like, oh, oh my God, is this going to go OK? Or do you just feel, this is fine, I know what I'm doing? I think... The only time I get that that horrible, sickening feeling in my in the pit of my stomach uh, is when I don't have confidence in what I'm about to say, and I knew that um, story was funny. You know, you put all yeah, the yeah, work yeah. into a, a a whole show, but then I go and do a terrible Chris Eubank impression on uh, um, on a Cat's Does <laughs> Countdown. <laughs> Swear to God, I have more. <laughs> I have more comments about From me that. doing a Chris Eubank impression than four series of Mando. Oh. Do you know what? I've had such a lovely time with you, Greg. You've got a very calming presence. Thank you. What's this? It's a war memorial, it's I guess. A bit funky, isn't it? It looks like a. Killed on the 15th of October, 1940. It's a Maya Angelou Destroyed quote. Destroyed an air raid on this spot. I have never seen that before. <laughs> oh, Bruno speaks. Bruno, that's your first bomb. bomb dropped on this spot in 1940. I've never noticed it. Have you really enjoyed your time with um, Bruno then? I think Bruno's lovely. I think I've not given him the attention he deserves because I enjoyed chatting to you, Emily. And we got a bark out of him. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. <laughs>